welcome to Interdisciplinary. This is Hillwell's Healthcare Podcast, where we say the quiet parts loud. And we uh, try to talk through questions that have no answer and end up with no answer, but hopefully more things to think about. I am Rebecca Sturgeon, and I'm joined here today with, by Carrie Jordan and Corey Rivera. Um, and we're going to talk about bodies today um, and things we know about bodies and things we think we know about bodies. Um, bodies, you all have one. So listen up. <laughs> but <laughs> I am contractually obligated to start today with fun. And I thought, you know, Carrie, since you and, and Cal do a lot of hiking and you're outdoors a lot, we might do an outdoorsy pun. Um, so what do uh, ticks and the Eiffel Tower have in common? What? They're both parasites. <laughs> uh, ooh, I like it. I like that one. <laughs> That's right. You're at your well. I We're not it. afraid of the arachnids or the Parisians. <laughs> yes, we are. Yes, we are. <laughs> Let's be clear. Sure are. I yeah, I'm just afraid of the stink bugs, but that's a whole other rant. Um, so, so today um, we we were gonna talk. We are <laughs> going to talk about things, incorrect assumptions that um, we've had in massage therapy and in healthcare and about the human body and how that affects care and what that means for us as providers. Um, so I am wondering from both of you, what's the most wild false thing you've ever believed about the human body? Um, well, I think I believed that for a short period of time that massage was about something other than the nervous system. <laughs> I think, you know, and I certainly, I, I, I learned and trained with people who uh, led me to believe, uh, and some of those people have changed their tune since, and some people have not, um, that you could manually uh, lengthen uh, tight fascia, tight muscles, um, and particularly fascia. Now we know that like, there's absolutely no way, but even muscles, we now know you cannot actually manually lengthen. And I think that that one's a, a really tricky one because I, I think massage therapists seem to be coming around to that truth, but I don't think a lot of other humans and other healthcare providers are. I mean, in the hospitals, we still receive requests from other healthcare providers to go in and, you know, loosen this up, like, you know, chain, you know, they, they're, you know, uh, I'm at a loss for a specific example at this moment. Right. But, but that other healthcare providers definitely think of what we do as kind of lengthening muscles and, um, and manually changing, um, soft tissue. Yeah, no, I can relate to that. And I actually, I have a specific example for you recently, you know, I worked with, with, um, my, my landlord was, was in the hospital and bedridden for a long time. And, and the directive or the hope from, from um, his family who wanted me to go in was to, you know, his, his hamstrings were tight. Um, I'm doing air bunnies uh, on yeah. the word tight, by the way. Um, and I, I should go in and, and lengthen them and that the massage would also help him to rebuild lost muscle. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. We definitely hear a lot of that. Yeah. So were you all told in school that petrissage is like exercise and it helps to build muscle? No. Or was that just my yeah. school? <laughs> yeah, I didn't, I, I don't know that I learned that exactly, but that was certainly, um, I'm trying to remember now, there was a suggestion that it sort of did a similar thing, that it wasn't a substitute for exercise, of course, but that, you know. Is that? Is that like a similar argument to that like thing you can buy on TV that like shocks your abs? Right. I think so. Like that yeah. kind of exercise? Yeah. Right. Damn it, Corey, that actually works. <laughs> <laughs> My bad. My bad. We're talking about false things, right? I'm sorry. Right. Sorry. But I do, I think that's a great example, Corey, because it is about like the a complete, uh, like a, I call it half science. I think there's a lot of it in massage therapy, right? Where we like, we sort of make a, a weird jump 
right? Like muscles contract in part because of electrical quote unquote, air bunnies, uh, impulses from the nervous system. Ergo, if we just zap them externally, they will be moving as if you're doing crunches, right? <laughs> and, and like, there's a, there's just a little, there's a hop there <laughs> that misses a big important middle piece of science and physiology. I think it misses several pieces. And I think that's, um, so I think there's a lot of conversation that goes on about like reading research and thinking scientifically and, you know, make sure you've got your critical thinking cap on and blah, 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 blah. And like, I agree that most of those things are important, but one of the things that like sort of just casually doesn't get discussed is how hard it is to teach those things because like making leaps of logic is a totally normal thing for your brain to do. And that's how you make sense of the world all of the time. So the idea of like slowing down enough to like really think out your thought process and think out how it makes sense and how it doesn't make sense is like a skill and it's hard to practice and it's definitely hard to accomplish. And then usually it gets accomplished by someone else being like, Hey, so did you think about this thing that you totally missed and didn't think about it at all? And you're like, I did not, I did not. I spent four hours, but I totally didn't think about that thing at all. And I think a lot of body misunderstandings like are because of that, like critical thinking problem. So I think this thing happens and people report to me that they feel this way when I do this thing. So I can't, you know, dissect you and find out what's going on. And even if I did dissect you and find out what's going on, it might not lead me to the proper conclusion anyway. But, you know, I make up an explanation. I make a story. It makes sense to me and everybody around me. And we call it good for a while. till someone points something out. I think this goes back to a recurring interdisciplinary theme <laughs> for us, which is the, the discomfort with ambiguity and the discomfort with no answer as well. And this makes me think of the big lactic acid myth, right? This is my favorite story. I loved teaching this in massage school that in the thirties, this guy cuts off a bunch of frog's legs <laughs> and puts them in a jar. This is yep. true people. This is science. Yep. <laughs> and he swaths them with lactic acid and the muscles appear to contract. And he's like, ha ha. I did it. I, this is what happens when you exercise. And then there is tension and soreness in the muscles afterwards, right? We know that there's lactic acid happening in there. And that what I saw in these dead disembodied frog's legs in a jar must be exactly what's happening inside a living human organism. <laughs> right. And that, this work was debunked. It wasn't debunked until the seventies, which is shocking that until then everybody's like, okay. But again, this is how science works people, right? <laughs> but in, in like the early seventies, this, the, 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 the study was replicated and the scientist who debunked it, it totally showed that the lactic acid that is present is actually helping you metabolize oxygen better and is not responsible in any way for muscle contraction, for tension, for soreness. But then everybody goes, so what is it? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe it's micro tears. Maybe it's maybe. And so that's deeply unsatisfying. And I can tell you that whenever I, whenever I get the chance to tell people the story of the disembodied frog legs, I do so with great enthusiasm. And the, the punchline of this is always met with a sort of disappointment, like, oh, so then what is it? And then you say, mm, maybe micro tears, maybe whatever. Oh, okay. And so, I get why lactic acid is a more satisfying answer. Uh, it, I get why the myth has hung around and why the debunking is so challenging because we don't have something as good. <laughs> I mean, lactic acid in your muscles. Like, it has the word acid in it. Right. It's I mean, perfect. it sounds like what it feels like, right? Delayed yeah. <laughs> onset muscle soreness feels like acid in my legs. And so, um, I, I think that this is why these things hang around. And, and again, other healthcare providers ask me to flush lactic acid from patients or from their own bodies um, as, a, as a body worker. So it's not unique to, it's not like 
I mean, certainly it would be great if massage therapists had more anatomy and physiology training, more real organic chemistry. <laughs> uh, but I, I do think that we see that these sort of weird myths persist even in people who quote unquote should know better. You know, it's interesting too. That makes me think of the the way that I was taught in massage, which was you always finish the limbs with this long sort of finishing stroke to drain quote or bunnies, right. um, uh, whatever. I don't know, lactic acid or whatever drain, whatever's toxins. in there. I think it was toxins. 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 <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. Um, tune into last week's podcast for <laughs> a thorough discussion of toxins. Um, but it, it makes me wonder about this thing that I think Cal says a lot too. Like, why isn't it enough that it just feels really good, yeah. right? For someone to rub your leg from the ankle up to the hip in a sort of loving and, and well-connected way, it just feels nice. And why isn't that enough? Yeah. Yeah. Do you think, so I, I, I have a question. Um, mm. Do you think it's not enough because partially because the explanation has to do with the nervous system, which we get kind of nervous about, or because it's related to like happy, pleasurable things. And we get really nervous about that too. The answer is yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Medicine doesn't taste good. That's just true. Right. Uh, and, and I, I mean, <laughs> for years and years and years, uh, when I was younger, I used ivory soap um, and I loved it. And I especially used ivory soap on my face, which oh. every SD in the world is now cringing as they listen to this. Sorry, everybody. Um, but I loved it because, and I used to say, I know that my face is clean because it feels tight. Like <laughs> if I get this in my eyes, it burns. It must be cleaning me. Now I'm clean. And I know better now. I no longer use ivory soap. And I do use the hippie, dippy, moisturizing, cleansing cream milk stuff on my face. But I can't lie to you guys. I'm never quite sure that my face is clean because my skin doesn't hurt when it's done. Listen, that feedback. <laughs> well, there is something to that too. And I think about that with, with um, folk who feel like they haven't been massaged if they're not sore. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that, I have an no, interesting dilemma with the sore thing. So people, mm -hmm. um, I don't get many new clients anymore, but when I do, sometimes people are like, oh, just use as much pressure as you want. And I'm like, let's talk about the pressure situation. No, <laughs> is the answer. <laughs> like, And here's why, like, let's talk about you, which is that that's not really good for you and not helpful. And it's about your nervous system and that stuff makes your nervous system cringe and you don't want your nervous system cringing. Trust me, you really don't. And then let's talk about me. My joints won't do that anymore. Um, they just, they physically cannot put pressure like that on people. I dislocate things. Um, and the first explanation, people are like, oh, well, but I can take it and like, it's all right and it'll be fine. And then the second explanation, they're like, oh, okay. So damage, you're talking about actual damage. And I'm like, I was talking about damage in both cases, but yes, like whatever <laughs> works for you and clicks in your head as to this is a bad idea. However, that needs to happen for you. If you don't feel better after I'm done, then we can talk about that, but I, you pro it'll probably help. Like, yeah. just get dressed, dressed. I don't need a hammer. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I think it's, um, so this makes me wonder then too, about the question of, you know, we, we teach, I have taught for many years, the, the person is the expert on their, on themselves, on their own body. But I don't know that they are in a lot of cases. And I think that this goes back to, I mean, honestly, do you guys even remember what you learned about human anatomy and physiology before you went to massage school? Like in high school, middle school, elementary school, did you guys learn human anatomy and physiology? Yes, but only in sex ed class and only in a very limited amount. Right. Otherwise, no, not really. Right. Yeah. 
Right. So I avoided so, biology class. So. so you learned about the, the features between your knees and your hip bones. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Some of the upper chest a little bit. There was some of that discussion yeah. as well, but yeah. that was pretty much right. it though. Yeah. I mean, I don't really, I don't remember, as you said, Corey, except for the extraordinarily limited sex ed uh, classes. Um, I don't think that we, you know, I mean, I remember that we dissected frogs and things like that, but we didn't certainly didn't talk about how muscles contract like that, you know, um, and even how the circulatory system works. I mean, even the sort of quote unquote, simpler systems in the body. Like, I don't, I don't think that most people through no fault of their own have a working knowledge of how their body works. I, over the course of my career as a yoga teacher and as a massage therapist, I encountered way more people who knew how their car worked than who knew how their body worked. Yeah. Well, I think it's not just about like what, what academic learning we may have had, which mine was similar to yours. And I, I learned some really fun things from being a runner and hanging out with runners for many years, which we can talk about in a minute if you want. Um, but um, I think it also has to do with living in a, in a world and in a, a culture that is not really comfortable with you actually having a body and living in it, you know? So it's not just academically, like, I don't need to know academically the entire structure of the heart muscle and the pericardium and everything that's in that part of my body to, to if I'm tuned into my body, know that something's off mm -hmm. and to be able to communicate that in a way that a, a compassionate, um, active listener type medical professional can tra then translate into, right? Um, but we're not encouraged to be that intimate with our bodies no way you know apart from maybe sex maybe if you're lucky and grew up in a sex positive environment but other than that you just kind of learn from other people like you know i learned from y'all the full body ice bath no <laughs> no i cannot tell you how many people were like yeah you know just run a marathon and go you know sit in a tub of ice and you'll feel great the next day you'll be able to run 10 miles Whew, no <laughs> the answer is no <laughs> but yeah, yeah there's there's not really space for that no no and i do think it leads to this um ivory tower thing, right. In, in healthcare providers as well. Like I know something you don't know. Um, you know, I remember, uh, I have a, a friend who, um, is a gynecologist who told me once about getting a referral uh, and the patient explained to the gynecologist that they had been referred by their primary care provider because their PCP thinks they have fireballs in the Eucharist. She had fibroids in her uterus. Mm -hmm. um, and so, of course, this is a very, I, you know, the story is funny, ha ha ha, right? Fireballs in your Eucharist. But, you know, even when this person told me this story, I, I remember just sort of cringing at like, uh, and now something very unpleasant, fibroids is not cool, <laughs> um, a very, very painful and potentially embarrassing and hard to understand and, you know, things that can affect your fertility and all kinds of have a huge impact on your life is sort of like this haha punchline because you're dumb and you don't know what fibroids in your uterus means. Yeah. I think about all the, the, um, physicians around here who are not <laughs> as kind as they could be, who, um, make fun of people who talk about having the sugars. Diabetes. Is that you know, for those yeah. who don't know, yeah. <laughs> sugar is diabetes. But you know, if you don't know the word, that totally makes sense. Yeah, it totally makes sense. Um, yeah, and I was thinking, thinking also that this whole discussion makes me also think of um, the ways in which we and other healthcare providers um, might assume that people don't know about their bodies. Like, so here's a story for you. I have a friend here in town who um, has always has like a multicolored mohawk and, you know, dresses all in black and he's kind of um, just looks sort of punk it, punk rockish or whatever. Um, and 
he was having terrible, terrible, like wake you up in the middle of the night, can't move abdominal pain. Um, so went to the ER with this terrible abdominal pain, like couldn't move, was crying in pain. And because of the way he looked, they thought he was drug seeking because that's what people who take drugs look like in the minds of providers and didn't actually offer him any effective pain medication until they took his blood pressure. And it was like a million over a million. They're like, oh, you must hurt. Hmm. <laughs> Maybe we can do something about that. <laughs> and this is like, what other ways are we or other healthcare providers or society in general assuming things based on someone's appearance or demeanor or accent? Um, which happens a lot around here. Uh, and then does this lead to, like the, the, to bring it full circle, does this lead to healthcare providers, including massage therapists, dumbing down the way they talk to their patients and clients about their bodies, which in fact doesn't educate people, doesn't help them understand better. It leads them to, again, a, a limited and potentially incorrect understanding of their body and how it works. Yeah. Go ahead, Corey. Um, I also, limited potential understanding, also not correcting people. Like it's not just about not sitting down and explaining, it's about not, not correcting people for the things that they say, because the explanation, I mean, if you're, you know, a PCP, you have 15 minutes and good luck with that. So I don't know when you're going to try and explain what diabetes is to somebody. Um, not that that's not life-threatening and important that they know, but you know, 15 minutes. Yeah. I wonder how much we just don't bother. Um, and I wonder how much we don't bother because we think it's relatively benign, especially as massage therapists. Like if you don't know, like what's really going on with your shoulder, is it really that big a deal that you really know, or should we just get you on the table or, you know, get the work done and give you a thing to do at home. But I like my favorite fact about the body to tell people that just blows their minds is that your shoulder blade isn't actually connected to much of anything other than muscle, right? It just like floats around in there and hangs out. Um, and not only that, but there's like a tiny piece of it that comes forward to the front of your shoulder. So your shoulder blade is actually also in the front of your shoulder and it attaches to your bicep. And most people have a pretty good idea of like where ish their bicep is and kind of what it is. So when you're like, yeah, your shoulder blade attaches to your bicep and, and it just moves around willy nilly when it wants to, because life, um, people are generally very interested and have never heard that before ever. And that's something that they personally can affect and help. And when you have an understanding of what your shoulder blade actually does, then you have a better understanding of how you can control it. But that also takes explanation. So I'm not very quiet in the massage room, let's say. Um, I tend to educate a lot, but most of my clients, they already know that by now and they're used to it and they ask questions. But, you know, massage is supposed to be real quiet. So when do you explain? Well, that's an interesting question to, to me as well, because I, I do think that part of our job is, is um, the sharing of knowledge. I prefer to think of it rather than education, because the, the, even though it is, I know it's the same thing, but it's also the, the hierarchy, um, the implied hierarchy gets to me a little bit. Um, and I also think it's important to value someone's language, like they're, the metaphors that they use. Like, I think that the people who call diabetes the sugars um, are also people who have generally a lot of really um, metaphorical expressions. Um, and that's how they use language, you know? It's, it's not, it's, it's never just cold. It's colder than witch's tit or whatever, you know? It's, it's never just hot. Um, so yeah it's 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 interesting to try to find the balance between share having a shared language and acknowledging and honoring someone's language and sharing accurate information i mean if somebody understands the process and what they have to do to manage their diabetes they can call it bob for all i care <laughs> right right but i think i think metaphor is really useful 
um, in, in teaching physiology. I mean, I certainly found it very useful and as a, as both a teaching tool and a learning tool. Uh, and, and I will uh, break my arm, pat myself on the back to tell you that the, the feedback I got most often from my physiology students was like, oh, because you like this metaphor made me actually understand this. Right. Like, um, and so I think, I think we can do both. And I think that there is value to metaphor in, in physiology. It doesn't have to be Latin terms <laughs> exclusively, right? Um, it doesn't have to all be organic chemistry, but I, I think that is all at the same time a slippery slope because are you really understanding that this is a metaphor or do you think that this is, there are like tiny bodyguards running around inside your body with shivs stabbing other little tiny beings in your body to protect you from disease, right? A little bit of both in that case, I'd say, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I wanna make sure that we also talk about like some other cultural assumptions about human bodies that maybe we have um, been swimming in the soup of and um, haven't really been aware of. And, um, this one, you know, this comes up, this article comes up every once in a while that, you know, redheads don't feel pain as much. Um, and that you're going to be extinct in like 80 years. Yeah, well, that's all right. <laughs> We're going to take you all with us. <laughs> you know, <laughs> because um, we're all witches as well. Um, I don't know that I've ever heard that, actually. Yeah, there's this article that comes up. There's there's apparently the day of the year that's like annual redhead day or whatever. Uh -huh. um, and some someone, oh, even though I'm not technically a redhead, um, someone always shares that article with me on redhead day. Like, yeah, cool. Huh. Don't stab me, bro. You know. <laughs> Corey, Corey is now googling wildly. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you'll find it within five minutes. But also, I think more dangerous things that have actually been printed in textbooks and taught in classrooms about um, how black people don't feel pain um, as much. And, uh, you know, I have a very how... recent story about this, actually. Yeah, yeah. tell us about yeah. it. So I have a friend who's in medical school um, who is an older student, and um, we talk sometimes about the youngins and trying to help the youngins um, because, you know, those kids go straight from college to college and they just don't have a lot of um, life experience because that's, that's all they've ever done. So um, she told me about this um, student who was pretty sheltered and there's a lot of things that are new to this kid um, and it's trying real hard. Like every day is an epiphany, you know, um, lots of stuff going on. And they, uh, they were talking about the myth that black people don't feel as much pain. And his response was like, well, who would ever believe that? It doesn't even make sense. There's no way that that's a thing that has been reported. And my friend was like, let me show you some textbooks that have just recently been taken out, like really, really within the past couple of months taken off the shelf that have that information in them. Um, and this kid was like, that's what I just, I can't. So I'm, he's going to be a great doctor, but um, <laughs> so he was flabbergasted, right? Flabbergasted this kid. And then, um, <clears throat> then casually another student just started sort of posting these articles about how melanin in the skin affects pain sensors, like just absolute, absolute crap. Um, and, you know, not like taking credit necessarily, but just sort of posting it so that people can kind of be aware in a very like open the gates sort of weirdo way. Um, and I, I was like, I, mm, one of those people should stay in medical school and one of those people should go, they should go. Um, and I don't know if they're gone, but there was just such a contrast in experiences that like, yeah, don't pretend, you know, <laughs> Well, but the, I mean, those studies are there, was it 2019, 2018, the most recent study that came out where they interviewed medical students about uh, who, and found that the majority of white medical students believe that uh, people of color don't feel pain as much as white people do, that their skin is actually physically thicker mm -hmm, than white people's skin. Yeah. I mean, the, and we're not talking about ancient history here. 
And I mean, I think we talk about this on the podcast a lot, you know, that you, for massage therapists, like, oh, I went to massage school and I learned about lactic acid. Right. And I never learned anything else. Cause then I went out into the world and I did my career and like, I had no cause or trigger to make me look deeper into this. Like, I think that we're seeing that that's true in all medical professions, right? There are some people who are all about learning and relearning and changing, but it's also very human to just anchor to what you learned. And so if in 2018, 2019, this was still a commonly held belief. Think about physicians who are baby boomers, who are Gen Xers, right? That like, who, how, how many people are out there holding on to this sort of, as you said, Corey, crap, <laughs> but that you learned in medical school or in nursing school or in massage school. So. Yeah, I just, before this podcast pulled up, um, this article, it's, it's, it's old, it's like 11 years old, but I'm looking at it and, it, and some of these, it's called false assumptions and clinical errors in modern medical practice. And um, it's amazing how many of these are still relevant. Um, like the, there's a thing in here about the mind body dichotomy, you know, Descartes, that jerk. He wrecked <laughs> everything. He did, he ruined everything. I hate him so much. <laughs> His little philosophizing <laughs> behind. Um, <laughs> I'm going to make t-shirts that just say, I blame Descartes. I blame Descartes. <laughs> yes. I got our yes. tea public store. That's right. <laughs> yes. But I thought that this was interesting. One of the things they list on here is um, absence of a test that will di- distinguish well from sick. The lack of a test leads to the erroneous assumption of sickness as the rule of thumb for almost all patients, right? If you come to my office, you must be sick. And I wonder if we also do that as massage therapists. If you come to my office, there must be something I can fix. Right. You have upper cross syndrome, also known as human. <laughs> I, uh, that's an interesting idea, partially because I believe everybody's in pain. Um, pretty much all the time. It's just right. The degree and how much it affects the rest of your life um, because of upper cross syndrome and other problems, of course. So I do assume that everybody comes in with a problem, but like sometimes the problem magically is not upper cross syndrome, right? Sometimes it's, you know, that I'm taking care of my mother and stressed out of my gourd and I don't have to take care of anybody while I'm here. And that's why I'm here. Hmm. Interesting. It's also uh, one of the privileges of massage therapy that we are not legally permitted to diagnose, right? Mm-hmm. But if you're in a profession where your job is to diagnose, it makes sense to me that you would have a bias toward finding a thing to diagnose. Yeah, there's not really a support for a physician saying, you know, I don't know what's going on. Right. No, that's a terrible thing to say if you're a physician. Yeah. One of my favorite, well, one of my favorite studies, and again, this is quite old and I will have to look very hard to find it, but this study looked at, uh, they interviewed people who had one malpractice suits for like egregious malpractice, like the wrong leg was amputated kind of suits. And Almost to a person, these people reported that they would not have sued if the physician had apologized. And then they uh, talked in the discussion about talking to physicians about this, and that physicians' position is that they were taught in medical school not to apologize, specifically because it can be used as a mea culpa, and then your malpractice insurance won't cover you. So it's admitting fault. Yeah. Which is so fascinating. And messed and, up. and not at all what an apology is in fact, right? <laughs> and certainly if you cut the wrong leg off of somebody, you should mea culpa. Like that, <laughs> that's messed up, right? <laughs> well, I mean, the, the, do you need additional proof? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Yesterday. their practice is going up no matter what. <laughs> yeah. But honestly, like I thought, I just thought it was really, really interesting that so many people who had 
been physically wronged um, and had, as a result, gotten tons of money, um, would say like, yeah, I, if I had it all to do over again, if somebody just said, I'm sorry. Uh, but again, that same, it's that same discomfort. It's that same not knowing. It's that, that same being on the same level as your patient, I would say, rather than above them. Um, and, and I think that healthcare providers are, are, like you said, Rebecca, are not given any model for that. And in fact, in many cases are dissuaded. Yeah, this makes me think back to um, what Corey, what you were saying at the beginning about, you know, this is our, our brains make assumptions. That's what we do. We fill in the gaps uh, that we don't know with something that makes sense to us. Um, and uh, when you're in, in the position of caring for another human being, how um, how much pressure there is on you to, to go with that um, and fill in assumptions. Like if I... I don't know what's going on with your body, but maybe it's this. So let's go with that, you know, or I know how to do this. I know how to, you know, treat this. So we're going to call it that because I know what to do. Um, And this is like our brains trying to survive. Well, there was another thing on here. Um, Oh, failure to keep the number of drugs to a minimum. So I wanted to talk about, um, (laughs) oh, that's that's a wonderful laugh that I hope is some wonderful insight. So I wanted to, to, well, tell me me what that expression is, Corey. Um, That's my 10 medications. (laughs) I'm 36, by the way. Mm. Um, One of them's vitamin D, so like, you know, whatevs. Yeah, Um, yeah. That's just living in Michigan, that's how life is. Yeah, I mean, I'm on lithium, right, which poisons me slowly. So it just kicks off this whole cascade of problems. So um, I get wicked heartburn. Um, that's probably from the love you trend. So I have a brain problem and a physical problem. Um, and then they combine in weird ways to have weird symptoms. And like, trust me, that the heartburn does not go away <laughs> unless you medicate it. Like, it doesn't matter what I eat. Um Oh, I have high blood pressure. That's genetic. Um, I have asthma. That's genetic. Um, I have bad genetics. It's just, I, my dad apologized a couple of weeks ago, which I thought was really funny. <laughs> I was like, it's not your, I don't blame you. <laughs> like, it's just, it's just the way the die rolled. It's okay. Um, so yes, um, the getting of medications occasionally begets the getting of medications, I would say. And I like, I need new pill containers now because they won't close. Cause like, cause the pills change in size, right? Like every time I go to the pharmacy, I get like, cause they, they just find the cheapest generic they can to, which I love about my pharmacy. It's wonderful. But like, sometimes, you know, my lithium's real small and sometimes it's not. <laughs> and sometimes the lids don't close. So weird problems. Anyway, there you go. It's my story. Well, it's interesting too. Like how many, how many um, complimentary, I, I think this is more prevalent among so-called complementary practitioners have we heard who would hear that story from you Corey and be like well clearly the problem is pharmaceuticals and none of this is helping you and um I can already hear the inbox filling up with with dietary suggestions for you oh yeah (laughs) yeah if you're gonna give me dietary recommendations you also have to buy my groceries so watch it yeah right well, and it, it remi- I don't remember which fallacy this is. I have to go back in the community and find it. Um, Healwell community, by the way, we'll, we'll continue this conversation. Uh, community.healwell.org. Um, but the fallacy that is uh, like, uh, what is it? That, that there is one part of this situation that is true. So therefore the entire thing must be true, right? Mm-hmm. So it is true in some cases that pharmaceutical companies um, have uh, chosen profit over human benefit. Opioids is a real nice example. Yeah, Yeah. Um, but that is not necessarily true in every single case. Right, opioids are real important for a lot of people. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can we talk about pain for a second and assumptions about pain? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me about that. You just got real excited, Carrie. Tell me about that. I, I love this because I think I agree with you, Corey. I think that it was the thing that shocked me most becoming a, a yoga teacher and then massage therapist was how much pain everybody walks around in and that the level of pain that is really just considered sort of normal in adults, in humans, by humans, <laughs> about themselves, about other people. And I, I think it's really, it's incredibly disheartening. Um, and I, I, because I spend a lot of time hanging around with people who are dying, I hear a lot of patients and family members be very concerned about opioid addiction for people who are at the end of their life and for whom like morphine is real helpful and important. And first of all, of course, your loved one who is actively dying of metastatic cancer, say, um, is not going to become a heroin addict because of the morphine that the hospice providers are giving them. Um, and, and I think that that's a, but it's still a widely held, I mean, my, my hospice colleagues, like it's like number one on the list of like fights they're fighting in the world to kind of change people's understanding of, of opioid addiction. And I think there's been so much press about the opioid crisis um, that, that we really, we gotten real messed up about pain. And I think that there's a, like, I lived in Boston for 20 years and I feel like nowhere is it more prevalent (laughs) that like Puritans really did a number on this country, (laughs) but you know, this, this like stiff upper lip thing and how many patients in the hospital I see, how many massage clients I've known and how I see in myself, this sort of pride in like my tolerance for pain. And like, why is that a thing we're proud of? Why is that a thing that even I, who have spent my career sort of fighting other people's like, don't worry about my pain story, um, have it in my, in myself that I don't practice what I preach very well. Um, yeah. So I guess that's why I got all like glassy eyed and excited when you said that I have, I have lots of thoughts about pain. I think that this is another area where where a lot of um, healthcare professionals are not really practiced at believing people. (laughs) Um, On the other end of that, um, I'm thinking about my my grandmother towards the end of her life had, I think it was gallbladder surgery. I don't remember what the surgery was. And told the doctors and my mother, who was her caregiver, told the doctors Listen, she doesn't take any pain medicine. Don't give her much because it'll mess her up in a way that's really not good. And they gave her too much. And um, so she got up in the night, you know, this person who was fully functional, got up in the night, having been given uh, a little bit too much. I don't remember what the painkiller was and fell. And that was the beginning of long, slow decline. You know, year old person falls. and, you know, I don't know enough about her physiological processes to be able to say, and that's what caused her to die, you know, two years later. Um, <laughs> but it changed her life. It did. And yeah. in a very, um, in a very not good way. Um, so yeah. Well, and it makes, you know, it comes back again to like judgment and particularly like you were talking about your, your friend who went to the emergency department and, uh, uh, Two social workers who we know, Terry Altilio and Ann Kellerman, uh, created an amazing class for Heal Well um, that is available uh, called The Power of Our Words. But one of the things that for me was sort of revelatory and mind blowing in that class is Terry Altilio talks at some point about um, a, a physician talking to her about how this person isn't drug seeking, they're relief seeking. And even if this is because of addiction, right? This is, it isn't, a, a, it isn't actually as simple. And maybe that sounds like a semantic game that you're playing, but it really isn't because like you said, Corey, like, is your pain physical? Is your pain emotional? Is your pain psychological? Like, yes, 
<laughs> is the answer. And so I think that we we have we still have such hideous judgment around people who want to take drugs to stop feeling pain, air bunnies, whatever that means. Um, and 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 certainly, again, I get to say this from the privileged position of somebody who does not have the power to prescribe medications and doesn't therefore have the responsibility for what happens when you prescribe those medications. But I, I do think that it's a, it's a big bias wall that we have as humans. Yeah. Um, well, what are the, did we talk about your favorite assumptions? One of my favorite assumptions about pain is that it is in the location at which you feel it. Oh, say more about that. I really like that. I think that's just fascinating. So, so pain, right. Is a nervous system thing, right? We we're pretty, it's probably also a hormonal thing, but like pain is in your brain. It is not really in your finger or whatever. You have sensors in your finger that have registered stuff and then have sent it to your brain and your brain has decided that it is pain. Um, so what I'm doing in a massage is not like massaging away the pain. That's not what I'm doing. I'm sending new information to your brain so that your brain can be like, oh, maybe that's not what I thought it was, or maybe that is what I thought it was or whatever, but like new information needs to be transmitted. Um, but telling people like there's this double-edged sword of telling people that pain is in your brain, right? Because you don't want to tell people that they're making it up because they're not, you are not making it up. That is not what is happening. You are not imagining yourself into pain. Although oddly enough, you can imagine yourself into pain, but it's not like you chose to do it. You're not like sitting in an armchair being like, my back hurts. I've decided my back hurts, right? That's not, that's a very weird Puritan malingering sort of train of thought. So it's in your brain. It is not your choice. And you do feel it like it's very, very real. It's in fact, I think more real because it's in your brain and that makes things a lot more complicated, but I can't, you know, massage your finger or your ankle. And it's not like an eraser. That's <laughs> like, not how that works. Um, yeah. Well, and if you need evidence, if you take morphine for your pain, it doesn't go to your finger right? You don't inject the morphine into the area of discomfort, right? It's a systemic treatment. And this is one of my massive like massage soap boxes, right? That we're like morphine, we're a systemic treatment. There's no point in me just rubbing your sore ankle and not the rest of you. It's not how it works. What well, do you really oh, want to encourage all this touch seeking behavior? <laughs> that sounds good for business. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Oh, man. So, um, so anything, what else is out there? Any final thoughts or, uh, or rants or? Oh, well, so many rants, but well, you know, yeah, on that's topic. Well, I um, I am curious for those of you listening if there are um, assumptions or things that you believed about the human body and the way it works that you have since learned are not correct. And um, I would love, we would all love to hear about that and hear about your process for finding out the truth as it is right now. Um, so you can email us at podcast at heelwell.org. You can send us a voice memo. Um, and if it's okay to play your voice memo, memo on the podcast, please let us know because, you know, people might get tired of our voices and I would like to hear yours. Um, we will continue talking about this in the Heelwell community um, this month in the Heelwell community. Corey, you want to tell us what's going on in the community this month? Uh, yeah, so this community's uh, this month's community theme, there we go, is um, out of the community and into the fire. We're talking about practical actions. Um, the subtitle for this is how not to argue on Facebook because it doesn't help you and it probably doesn't help anybody else either. So we're going to talk about um, how to argue with people and how to actually change people's minds according to science and research. And the answer is it's hard. 
spoiler, um, we're going to talk about social justice and healthcare and how to actually move forward in those things, how to talk to your family, um, which is touchy for a lot of people. Um, and we'll have a couple of uh, practice evenings in office hours for how to talk about social equity with people who maybe don't want to talk about social equity. So I would like to promote that we are also launching two really exciting new programs this uh, month. We, <laughs> we have Accountability Buddies, which is really fun to say, and it's even more fun to be part of. If you purchase the Social Justice and Healthcare course bundle, you get Accountability Buddies, which is a monthly live discussion. Each month we'll talk about one of the classes in the bundle with the instructors and with facilitators so people can help hold themselves accountable to finishing the course by a certain date, <laughs> but also to get some feedback, to bring your questions, bring your thoughts. And then the other thing that we're launching that we're really, really excited about is a hospital-based massage therapy peer support and mentorship group within the HealWell community. So this is for people who are massage therapists in hospitals or who are hoping to be massage therapists in hospitals or who are hospital-adjacent massage therapists. Uh, it's a place where you can support each other, pick each other's brains. We know the world of HBMT can be a little bit lonely, so let's all hang out together and um, support each other. So awesome. Yeah. So there's so many ways to come and, and come and play in the sandbox with us. Um, so at the hospital-based massage therapy program and all of the discussions about how to talk about hard things in the community, um, community.healwell.org. The social justice bundle you can find in our online course portal at online.healwell.org. All of these links will be in the show notes for you as well. And if you just need a break and you want to see something fun and ridiculous, come and find our Patreon. We have be a secret squirrel, be a secret squirrel, or be you know a not so secret squirrel. It's up to you. Let your squirrel flag fly. It's okay. Um, but we have documentaries. We have Wisdom or Cookie. We have Corey's Cartoon Countdown, and um, we have a new feature that we are going to be recording very soon called "Are You Going to Eat That." where we have oh, yeah yeah we have little food fights it's going to be amazing um so that is patreon.com slash interdisciplinary um so come and talk to us squirrel with us uh yell at us whatever you need to do um at one of these outlets we are here to listen to you and we appreciate um you listening to us here and we'll see you next week thank you for listening Interdisciplinary is produced by Healwell. Our theme music is by Harry Pickens. New episodes are available weekly through your favorite podcast outlet. Uh, and you can send us an email at podcast at healwell.org. That's podcast at healwell.org. Thanks for listening.